It's more like surfing than skating. I wish the rain would stop just once. It can't rain all the time. Eric? End scene. Cut! Cut! You call that a skateboarder's voice? <laughs> no, that is a martial artist expert's voice. Okay, okay. But can you try it like a martial artist skateboarder? Uh, yeah. You're talking to Adam... me? Sarah's the skateboarder over here. What are you talking about? Who's talking to you? Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I was talking to you, it... Trevor. Let's... Oh, I'm sorry. Let's take it one more time. Let's take it one more time. Okay. It's more like... <laughs> Welcome everybody to Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film, hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm Adam Wagner, and allow me to introduce my co-host, the Sultan of Spit, it's Trevor Dillon. <laughs> why, is, why is that not specific to this episode? Why is it just a general roast of me? It just felt right. Adam, we, we made it to the last episode of season one of Ghost Party Radio. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. I don't know if this is going to exactly be the last one out, but I am <laughs> um, excited to get to that outro episode, that's for sure. For sure. Um, and uh, just in honor of The Crow, uh, from this going from an academic podcast to a little bit of a fun podcast today, uh, I, got a, I got a margarita in one hand and a microphone in the other, baby. We're doing margaritas? You guys didn't <laughs> yeah. tell me it was that kind of podcast. <laughs> I told you, I told you it goes from academic to non-academic, and I would say today is going to lean a little less academic. I already made coffee. I don't know. I can't I can't grindhouse this coffee up. It's too late. <laughs> Adam dreams of a podcast in which uh, we operate like the, the Mad Mickelson movie, Another Round, where we just up our BAC each, right. each, <laughs> each moment of the podcast. Are they just drinking at the beginning and end of every scene? Yeah, exactly. That's, well, that, yeah, that's literally what the movie's about, I think. <laughs> I mean, they, the movie. I haven't seen that yet. The movie says that the theory works. So, I mean, hey, listen, we'll take anything at this point to make this podcast better. <laughs> um, well, before we get into it, um, do we have any listener reviews, Trevor? Uh, we do not have any listener reviews quite yet because this episode and this entire podcast has not dropped yet. But once it does, please rate and review us five stars and roast us in the review. We will not accept good nice reviews give us five stars and roast us and we'll read it on the show right up top this is where i will be reading the roast and you can leave us reviews where adam uh leave us reviews not on spotify because they don't do that i've learned um but but please leave us reviews on the itunes apple podcast place maybe google podcast i gotta find out if they do reviews um, I mean, I've been saying for the first nine episodes, like Adam said, I don't know when this is even going to come out uh, in terms of our chronology. Chrono- Let me take that back, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> the, VA- the VAC is already too high, I guess. Yeah, so I guess if, if they're not accepting reviews on Spotify, we can just negate the first nine episodes in which I said they took Spotify reviews. Right. I've been sending my reviews somewhere. I don't know. I thought they were going to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Um, by the way, for our listeners out there, perhaps you are smelling some delicious coffee right now, and that will allow me to introduce our guest here, one of the writers over at the Frida Cinema blog at FridaCinema.org, who just recently started a podcast called Scene Selection with a, another guest that we've had on the show, Michaela Davis. Here today, though, we have Anthony McElroy. How are you doing, Anthony? Hi, Adam. I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. Uh, I I like what you were saying earlier. Yes, I'm glad you can smell that. That is my coffee. That's so crazy how you can smell that. It smells Um, good. Listeners at home, if you scratch your your speakers or your headphones, I think they're scratch and sniff, and you can also (laughs) smell the coffee. So, Anthony, as of this recording, you have a podcast that has dropped. I'm jealous that you have a podcast that's dropped. It's called Scene Selections. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, Scene Selections is the first uh, audio podcast of the Frida Cinema Audio Podcast Network, and I'm very happy to be working on it with Michaela Davis, uh, who was your uh, previous guest, I understand, on this podcast. Um, she's, she's, really, she's really smart, <laughs> so I'm glad to have her along to help uh, say smart things on my podcast. Um, and, and where then, can we find that podcast at? That's on, as of right now, it's on Spotify. 
Um, but we would prefer it uh, if you went to thefreedacinema.org. Uh, it's right there on the homepage, Scene Selections. Our first episode is about David Lynch. If you enjoy the films of David Lynch, I highly recommend you give it a listen. Um, we have, uh, we're going to be recording new episodes at, on an irregular schedule, but it's going to be about you know films you see at the Frida, filmmakers uh, that are like art housey, that sort of stuff. Awesome. Speaking of the coffee, David Lynch, I, I just listened to that episode yes. today. Uh, 44 minutes. Uh, love a short podcast, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing. I was very, very happy to get it under like 50 minutes. Um, get, depending on the conversation, you know, we could always go longer. Uh, people have been picking some short scenes, but until we get like those really long Tarkovsky, like really long scenes, then uh, we might have more to talk about. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know we we'd spoken about and this I, the the Shyamalan bit hasn't been really beaten into the ground on this podcast quite yet. But I'm a huge fan of M Night Shyamalan, so we had been talking about me coming on the show and talking about M Night Shyamalan. Was it was it M Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. scene architect? Y- yeah, uh, a narrative architect. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, that makes a little more sense and is much happier. <laughs> I, I I liked your thing though. <laughs> scene architect, as if he's like the only director who can put together a scene. No, but I mean, hey, narrative architect is equally as vague. Um, but I, I think, <laughs> you know, he's been given a short shrift in terms of his reputation for, like, being the twist filmmaker. I think that's uh, a little unkind. I think saying he's a narrative architect is a little kinder. So went with that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people would argue it's a little too kind. But we'll get into it on that show. But as far as this sure. show goes, Adam, do you have a couple questions you want to ask Anthony up top? Yeah, well, you know, like uh, the coffee that was boiling earlier, my blood is boiling for revenge. <laughs> oh, no. And what that happened is, to you, Adam? Uh, well, <laughs> you have to tune into the outro episode to find out. But oh. for now, I was curious. Uh, that's our main genre. But what is what is your favorite genre of film, Anthony? Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny that, like, revenge is its own genre, because, like, it, you see it peak in ebbs and, like, uh, bits in other genres, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have probably discussed that. I'm interested to get into that it, w- with regarding The Crow. Um, but personally, I, I've never been one for, like, revenge and action things. I always love those movies. But I would say right now, reliably, I love musicals. I love mm-hmm. musicals. Uh, uh, I love uh, anything that's, like has a lot of eye candy and bright colors not necessarily in lighting but certainly sets and design and that's traditionally more in, represented in musicals and uh i i guess I, you know i've been watching musicals for a few years now and uh <laughs> it, it's every day of my life that i try not to relapse and watch uh uh i don't know a bad movie <laughs> i hesitate to say like a comic book movie because we're talking about a comic book movie today but um <laughs> yeah um, what, 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 in your opinion, as an expert on musicals, makes for a good one? Uh, ideally, a really expensive one. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, after, like, yeah, after, like, action movies, most money that a studio will spend on a movie is going towards musicals. They're going towards biopics, usually with a big star attached. Um, but mainly, you're paying for music, you're paying for sets, you're paying for ridiculously attractive actors and ridiculously talented dancers um so i tend to like them because they have a lot of money thrown at them and the best ones squeeze every penny uh i always think of uh uh the barbara streisand movie uh funny girl which you can tell is expensive just from the title sequence (laughs) it's just like it is like beautiful uh not orange but it's like purple title sequence have you guys seen this it's a lot of still like uh fade ins and outs um of i guess it would be new york at the time um yeah so a really expensive musical lots of money lots of really uh handsome and gorgeous people uh that that, that's all i need (laughs) Hmm. Uh, here's a little tangent do you guys actually know i learned this recently what the most expensive film scene ever shot is i don't know is it D.W. Griffith's Intolerance? Yeah, nice try. It's uh, <laughs> it's actually the scene from uh, The Dark Knight when the Joker sets all that money on fire. Is that? How much <laughs> money is that supposed to be again? What, uh, is he burning a trillion dollars? Yeah, I forgot. And I know Nolan, you know, he doesn't use CGI or anything. He wanted that money to be real. 
They they couldn't even have burned so prop stupid. money. No. What? He's authentic. He's a real filmmaker. <laughs> wow, gosh. And I thought the Dude. Italians in the 40s had it hard. <laughs> this guy, this Nolan guy really knows realism. <laughs> um, Trevor, you were saying? Speaking of musicals, the last one I've seen, or one of the last ones I've seen, was The Umbrellas of Shoreborg. Do you like that film, Anthony? <laughs> I love that film. That's a beautiful film. Um, I also love the sequel, The Young Girls of Roquefort. Uh, also very dazzling. <laughs> uh, Adam, why did we? Why did I watch that movie? Yeah, because it was a uh, Palme d'Or winner, Trevor. We uh, have a dead podcast called Palm Yorks, uh, in which we were going to watch all the Palm Dior winners, uh, but then it ended up turning into this podcast. So anytime <laughs> I get to talk about a Palm Dior winner, I, I, it's it's all over the place. Uh, but speaking of Palm Dior winners, The Crow, Adam. That's right. I think it won every uh, category at Cannes. No, yeah, maybe. Alex Proyos' The Crow just shows up and just sweeps can. But uh, <laughs> I do have one more question before we get into the movie for you, Anthony. Um, what's your re- what's your history with revenge on film, and do you have any favorite revenge movies? Uh, I'd say it... Uh, I, I was going through some films. I think it really begins and ends with The Punisher. Uh, and I'm referring to the Thomas Jane uh, uh, film from 2003, as well as the Warzone reboot from 2008. But I distinctly remember seeing The Punisher at too young of an age to see it and and sort of being enamored with the the gall and the conviction and the determination of this guy who should be dead. And I thought, I don't know if I could like put it into words at the time, but I think now I thought there was something spiritual about his like quest for revenge. And and that's hinted at in, you know, a not so subtle way in the beginning. But um, yeah, I I, I remember... (laughs) telling one of my teachers i had to have been i'm telling you in elementary school i saw this movie over the weekend i come back monday morning and i'm explaining the whole summary of the plot to my teacher and this is a violent movie and my teacher's just like "Uh uh-huh wow nodding along being very polite and i'm telling him like yeah and then he goes in he like blows them up and shoots them (laughs) and i'm like doing pretty good like scene enactments and like remembering the dialogue (laughs) but like in hindsight i'm like wow i'm surprised she didn't like call someone about that your teacher eats the punisher for breakfast true she must have been a fan this like nice woman who grew up in Tennessee. <laughs> she must have loved the comics. Yeah, I, I, that movie I should probably revisit. It's been a while, but since then I've always remembered like Thomas Jane and like that that was probably the first thing I saw him in. But other than that, I don't really go t- for revenge films. That's not like I said that's not really like what I gravitate towards. Um I I'll, I'll tend towards more like dramas or like feel good stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that like I oppose revenge. I I like horror movies, but I also don't seek them out. Um but Usually revenge is fun if I want to just sort of like forget about theme and ideas for a while and just focus on technical aspects of the film. Because usually a good action film, a good revenge film anticipates you understanding the the, the broad strokes and it's not going to communicate much beyond the ideas of revenge. And and so it's easier. I, 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 I don't want to say turn your brain off because that's that's inaccurate. But it's easier to sort of uh, presume certain things in the story in favor of focusing on technical aspects. And, and so I, I love that. I, I love genre for that reason. That sounds good to me. Well, let's talk about uh, the sister film to The Punisher, The Crow. The Crow, yeah. A movie about... Now, I have not read any of these comics. I understand okay. it's a very popular uh, graphic novel series. Yeah, we don't invite any nerds on here, so don't worry. Oh, You're thank fine. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a movie about a man brutally murdered who comes back to life as an undead avenger of his of his fiance's murder. Um, and his own, kind of. Yeah, that's true. It is now available on HBO Max. Um, and so let's mm-hmm. break down the show, the things we're going to be talking about here. We're going to go through some letterbox rating reviews, some context for the movie, what we liked, what makes it special within the genre, and then we're going to rate this baby. Trevor, you got some letterbox reviews for us? Yes. So this first letterbox review comes from a user. Uh, sorry. Sorry. We don't call them letterbox users. We call them listeners of the show. Comes from ah. listener of the show, Finlay, who says, this film says it can't rain all the time, even though it actually rains all the time in it. It's an astute observation from uh, that listener. <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still raining at the end of the movie, right? I thought that was going to be sure. a big payoff. Like, oh, it finally doesn't rain at the end. 
I mean, it, it's uh, not not a happy ending because it doesn't rain. I mean, I feel yeah. like you know it, the rain. It, they could just be in Seattle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the second review is from Magnus Fan two thousand and five. Uh, is says I can feel my blood turning black. I am becoming dot 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 emo. Thank you, Magnus, for always supporting us. It, it seems like he's not he's not interested in being emo. <laughs> he sounds scared. <laughs> uh, Anthony, I have to ask you: Do you have a, any uh, emo history? Uh I once, not once, on many occasions, I would straighten my hair with my mom's flat iron, if that counts. <laughs> it certainly does count. Close enough. <laughs> I did for a time wear skinny pants and listen to My Chemical Romance, if that's what you're asking. There you go. I mean, that's <laughs> extremely down the middle for this film. <laughs> and the last review here comes from actual listener of the show, Christina, or ex-Tina Lopez, uh, on Lever Talks We Are Friends, and she says... Real love is forever with a black heart. Mm -hmm. Now we know Christina to be a queen of scene, as it mm. were. Scene kid never leaves the scene, as I always say. I like uh, that Anthony... she remarked on the love in that, because I, I also uh, uh, really, re-watching this film, uh, uh, I, I was really struck by uh, his relationship with his girlfriend. It, told only in flashback. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how like moved I was. All right, uh, Anthony, I asked you to bring on this movie, uh, The Crow. Uh, uh, we, we assigned you this movie. Usually uh, we have guests bring on the movies that they want to bring on, and you had claimed that you really do like this film. What's your history with The Crow? I suppose my history uh, is, is I guess, thinking that everyone loved The Crow. I, I, I thought this was a, a quite a very popular film, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized two things. One, that yes, it was a very popular film on release and like made a bunch of money. But two, in the intervening years, no one fucking watched it that I knew. You know, growing up in my little slice of Southern California, at least not lots of people. At least not till my twenties um, that I like met people who were like, "Yo, the crow's fucking sick." Uh, and but I don't know if that has to do with like this new cultural revival that it seems to be having, or it uh, has to do with like them always loving it. Uh, but for me, uh, yeah, it was on in my household growing up. Uh, my parents were in their early 20s when it would have come out. Uh, big Bruce Lee fans when they were even younger. Uh, my grandparents uh, on my mom's side, big Bruce Lee fans. My grandfather's Japanese, so he, he you know, loved any Asian guy uh, in a movie. And, and, so, and he also studied martial arts, so... I uh, looked up to Bruce Lee, and so it was like they were family. You know, their movies were always on. We always had them next to our home movies. Uh, I remember this was like in the last five years. I was over at my grandparents for Thanksgiving. Uh, after we all had dinner and everyone's drinking and it's starting to like turn into a party, we turn on the crow. And we're all just like, yeah, get him, crow. And everyone's like drunk as hell and it's Thanksgiving. And, and so I just thought everyone loved this movie. <laughs> Is there like a, a universally referenced thing in your family from The Crow? Uh, I think Fire It Up. Fire <laughs> It Up! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, um, Brandon and Bruce Lee, they were, uh, they, they were just, you know, it was like they were family. It was weird. Hmm. And I'm sure lots of other people can relate to that. I want to thank you, Anthony, for bringing this movie onto the podcast. Uh, I had a blast watching it. Uh, Adam, we have yet, previous to this episode, watched a bad movie. Would you agree? Um, e define bad. Yeah, okay. Well, I can tell you that we haven't watched a bad movie yet. Yeah, exactly. So what are you, what are you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> what, I'm what I'm trying to say is that after watching The Crow, Adam, uh -huh. we remain undefeated, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, gosh. Great. Just all the listeners collectively unclenched. Um, uh, this movie was really, 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 really fun. Um, mm -hmm. I don't mean really to just get right into it. Was this really your first time seeing it, Trevor? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I had never seen it before, before HBO Max added it to their library. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, what, 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 so what was your idea of it? I, you know, I, I guess, can we just start off? What, what was your idea of it before? Like, what did you think it was going to be? And then, like, how did that change as you were watching it? Listen, Anthony, I'll be doing the hosting on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry. Please, please, go ahead. Now, uh, I had heard some stuff about it before. Uh, you know, it has not um, 
Nobody. I mean, listen. I'm a. I'm now 30 years. I'm a 30 year old man. Uh, nobody that I knew growing up on Devil's Night would paint up their face and go out <laughs> and smash mailboxes. Uh, I didn't really have much in the cultural lexicon for me, at least. Uh, I knew, and we will totally get into how this is maybe the most disastrous production of all time. Uh, I knew about that. Um, I, I knew about the Brandon Lee phenomenon. I, I, I didn't really know anything else about the movie. I thought it was sort of a punchline until I actually looked into it when we got into this revenge series. And I'm, I'm really, really excited. Uh, Adam is going to let the floodgates open here soon when we're going to start talking about it. But I'm excited to talk about the idea of just like this gothic vengeance movie that this is because it's got to be at the top of that subgenre. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm in the same way. I hadn't seen it before either. And um, my experience was that I was, I was kind, kind of always, uh, I, I liked the goth girls around there. So I was always kind of in those circles, but I never actually had a scene phase of my own. But I knew that they loved this movie. So going in, I, I was going to be very like um, strict. I wanted this to embody sort of a scene film. Mm. And it paid off. I think there was a lot. There's even the little touches all around this film that we'll get into are seen incarnate. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. What, what, what was some of that criteria? Like, was it just like kind of like vague stuff or were you just like looking for a certain image? I think, yeah, I think it was more of a feeling like, um, let's say when Brandon returns to the apartment and he, you mm-hmm. know, there's a dresser still there and he has the mask that he, the like, uh, jester's mask that he runs his hand over so gently i mean that just screams like this this movie knew what it wanted to be and i love that that it went for it yeah yeah no there's a couple of uh shots uh that almost recur uh like a motif where it's like a close-up of someone's arm Mm -hmm. either like where he's touching the mask or they're holding a gun um or uh i think it could just be like it's it's like opening a door or something I, I mm-hmm. i'm forgetting it could be getting my, my my movies mixed up but yeah certainly that mask scene is is, is pretty like harsh just <laughs> watching him walk through that empty apartment right and then not only that i mean his costume throughout the night that mm-hmm. he heals but the costume doesn't so it just ends up looking more and more goth progressively <laughs> yeah he tapes it up after one point <laughs> Um, before we get into uh, talking about things that we liked here, I have a, a little test for you guys. Sure. I I counted, this is a, kind of a superhero movie, I counted uh, five distinct separate powers that the crow has. Mm. What are they? Ooh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say the first one, which is uh, that he revives. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Trevor? Um, that was going to be the main one that I was going to say. Uh, is like super strength one of yours? No. Is like um, he's really good at quips one of yours? No. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, that that, that might have just been his personality. Yeah, he's just that witty. Right. Uh, is uh, the ability to put makeup on one of yours? <laughs> Ooh, let's go back to Anthony. Um, he shreds on a guitar, man. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, he has like this like extreme empathy where uh, like he touches people and feels their mm-hmm. pain. And right. notably, um, the the guy and like he or he touches the cop feels like the pain that he was feeling for the wife. Yeah, so I would say like, yeah. uh, and then he transfers those memories and pain later on. Right. Okay. To the villain. <laughs> right. So we okay, got spoilers. Two. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah. We'll be. Uh, this will be. The context is that people have already seen the movie and are coming here to you know digest it. sure 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 all right so we got two yeah. out of five um he gosh i guess he like tell pseudo teleports or like flies there you go okay three uh, uh i think i think i know one. i think i know one go ahead he has the ability to dodge bullets nope he has some sort of like speed or agility for sure though yeah, like but, he's but not I'll... just <laughs> Unless Brandon the... Lee was just making a biopic of himself and was just like, yeah, no, this guy rules. And then when he comes back from the dead, his only power is in, in vulnerability. <laughs> Other than that, he can fight the bad guys. Right, yeah. Well, he's still got two, the two big ones. Oh, uh, gosh. There's, a, there's an obvious one that uh, maybe ties into the title of this movie. Oh, he, mean, he, he uses the crow, the crow as like a vision. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Bingo. Yeah. And then I have one last one. I don't think you guys are going to get this. 
Is it that because it's made up? It's it's because it's the most ridiculous of all of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, let's hear it. He can, uh, what, squeeze meth out of someone's veins. Oh, my God. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that scene. And honestly, when it, like, pops up, I was, like, I, I like, gasp i made a noise or something because i was not expecting that shot of like what it was like two or three holes mm-hmm. uh where the heroin comes out of it was gross yeah pretty ridiculous uh but i guess it fits with his whole persona um so anthony tell me what are some of the standout sequences in this movie that you really like uh i rather enjoy uh the uh, warehouse show uh in the abandoned city uh just before um uh crow shows up for and like blows everybody away um i i love that sequence just sort of like the pre uh just watching people like dance (laughs) i i found myself really just thinking man i want to be there i do love the scene actually uh uh where he uh where crow goes and fights um oh the guy who plays uh, uh jerry horn in twin peaks i forget the actor's name uh but uh when he goes and gets jerry and and jerry's in the car and he sends uh uh is it skunk or whatever the the fourth guy is he sends the guy in to go rob the convenience store and while he's waiting in the car crow has a gun to his head and is just like we're gonna go i'm your passenger uh take me for a ride and and then he w- when he kills him i think that's a great sequence because uh he's doing some phenomenal acting not just brandon lee but also the guy uh just sort of demanding answers after like being totally submissive he's like all right now you gotta let me go right like you know i drove you here i told you whatever let me go and oh it's it's tragic but like you you still want to see him die (laughs) yeah that's a great sequence uh as the guy's name is skank skank uh so the the names in this movie are incredible uh when you get past brandon lee and his girlfriend and uh, ernie hudson who we'll get to uh, but you have Micah, you have T-Bird, you have Skank, Tin Tin, Fun Boy, Grange, Gideon, you have a Mickey in here. Uh, I just love the names of the movie. It really, really sold the kind of uh, weird aesthetic to me. Um, I love the ending sequence, which we'll talk about in our ratings, but the, it was uh, it took place in the church. That looks really, really cool. Uh, I just watched mm-hmm. Face Off recently that has an ending that's in a church as well. There's something about like a church shootout or a fight sequence that really gets to me. Uh, Adam, did you have any favorite standout sequences? Yeah, so like I, I just like the cherry on top moments of everyone being really kind to Sarah. I like Albrecht's kind of uh, really nice to her. He buys her that hot dog. And we also have the bartender who gives her a root beer and is like, yeah, I'm sorry about your mom. Um, obviously, at the end, I think the main bad guy is Gideon, right? Yeah, Gideon. And his like sister. <laughs> yeah, that really, they're really. That was bizarre. They're like going full steam ahead with that incest idea. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that was just to fulfill the source material. Yeah, I suppose so. Although, but th- both of those actors and their bodyguard, I love those uh, those casting <laughs> yeah. choices. When you talk about the cherry on top of this movie, Adam, and you were mentioning Ernie Hudson, I do want to say that he's the secret MVP of this movie, and he's the secret MVP of like every movie he's in. I absolutely love Ernie Hudson, and uh, you should look up a picture he of what Ernie Hudson has... looks like now because he's like Dave Chappelle jacked. What is he? <laughs> I haven't seen him recently. Finally. <laughs> now he can uh, uh, go back to the, being the, that action hero like he was in this movie. Right. I think, I mean, this character, obviously, it's, it's probably taken from the comic book. But without having this character in this movie, I don't think it would have uh, had as strong of legs to stand on. There's a lot of heart in this character and the relationship that he has to the rest of the story. I was thinking something similar uh, watching it this time around. He, he really has a very thin character that is practically non-existent until Ernie Hudson steps into the role. Mm-hmm. Like, because with him, even if you probably haven't seen, like, Ghostbusters or anything, he just has a certain presence and charisma that lets you know that he's, trust A, trustworthy, and also B, competent. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you want not just as, like, a police officer, but also as, like, someone who can work within the justice system and like uh, against like detectives like that one guy whose name i forget but mm-hmm. he was just angry all the time mm-hmm. but other than that he just seems like a pushover the character of uh albrecht mm-hmm. yeah i mean when i say ernie hudson's the secret uh ingredient to this movie that makes everything work i literally mean he carries the movie dramatically and has the funniest moments it reminds me of his performance in the movie congo which i'm sure we'll get around to this which is a one a, a totally a, a guilty pleasure for me one of my favorite 
um, movies of all time, which is not a good movie in any way. But the second Ernie Hudson comes on screen, you're like, oh, this is – he is by far the best thing in this movie, and you can just tell. Uh, the movie mm-hmm. starts The Crow, of course, with a Miramax logo, which is the Weinstein Company. And I immediately went, uh-oh. But the second Ernie Hudson came on screen, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, we're, we have something really good going on here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to just kind of be going all over the place, but uh, I want to talk about the filmmaker real quick, Adam, because we, we like to talk about directors on this show. He made uh, uh, so one of this... my favorite Nicolas Cage movies. A knowing. <laughs> knowing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is not. So this is a director that like the layman wouldn't know. Alex Proyos, who was um, a music video director at the time, but he didn't just make The Crow. He made uh, the '90s kind of cult hit Dark City, which a lot of people say that The Matrix borrowed a lot from. Uh, he made iRobot, which was a big hit with Will Smith. He made Knowing, of course. And then recently, I think we've mentioned this before, but he made a movie called Gods of Egypt, where a bunch of white people played Egyptians. But um, he was a music video director in the '90s, and and, and it kind of got me thinking, like of all of the music video directors in the 90s that tried making movies i only know of a couple that broke out there's alex proyos and does anyone know who i was thinking was the other one fincher yeah so david fincher is like the best the best idea like literally just got nominated for a golden globe today as a director i mean one of our great directors started as a music video director in the 90s um making you know stuff for like madonna and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. proyos was as you can tell from this movie a director of music videos for i don't know nine inch nails stone temple pilots the cure raging us from the machine stuff like that so uh i just think it's like he's like the perfect hire for this movie and it's just really funny to me to think that like this movie could have been directed by david fincher in another universe I could see that. I feel like Fincher would probably be too... It would be too clean. It wouldn't have that uh, that sort of uh, immediacy that, like, Alex Proyas is, is doing in this movie. Like, I imagine there wouldn't be the same point of view flying across the shitty... Or city shots. The <laughs> shitty city. That's Freudian uh, slip. I, I imagine David Fincher would, would be a, a lot more formal in, in how he would, like, depict this... Uh, 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 gotham-like city mm-hmm. and I, I mean the messiness of this movie is is i'm sure what a lot of people anthony you can attest to this is what they connect to the sort of nostalgic elements of it maybe i think certainly yeah it, it, it feels accessible in a way it feels uh it i think in the 90s of the time it's what made it quote-unquote indie right. and gave it that certain credibility mm-hmm. um and uh but i think this movie since brandon lee unfortunately passed away like so soon before it it was really writing on that reputation and i think people were ready to receive it as a really good movie and i it somehow exceeded those expectations mm. and and i think the same can be said mm. of brandon lee's father with his final film enter the dragon in which you know the movies he had been doing up until then were were very you know uh uh were very classical in in, in their approach were were fine enough for audiences but Enter the Dragon was an order of magnitude higher than what we had previously seen him do up to that point. And, and I think the same can be said to, to what was they delivered with The Crow. I think people were expecting like a cool sci-fi action kick-ass movie. And what they got was this really like serious meditation on revenge, on violence, on, on you know, life and, and the afterlife. And... You know, and it's a comic book adaptation. You know, I don't think people were expecting it to to deal and tackle with those themes. They were just expecting him to punch the bad guys, which he does to a a, a large degree. But uh, I think, yeah, people connect with it because it's a lot more than what the material would lead you to believe. Yeah, and I think uh, you were kind of touching on this too. I'm sure. Let's talk about the sort of style of the movie. That mm-hmm. it's so heavy here, the textures and and the way everything is done. Um, do we think that Trevor, you mentioned the Matrix? Uh, is it the case where movies were trying to be very stylish and have like a whole um, vision for uh, the way that they wanted to feel, um, and then the Matrix comes along in what 1999, and and then just does it perfectly? Like this is changes the way that movies capture style going forward. I mean, that's definitely a, a good question and something that I was planning on talking about is that we can't act like the aesthetic, whether it's the production design, the music, 
uh, the way that Proyo shoots this movie. We can't act like this movie uh, doesn't borrow a lot of aesthetic that comes before it, but it definitely, definitely influences some of like the, um, how, how do you say, I know it's on the wheel, the, the neo-punk or the uh, tech-noir films that come after it in the 90s. I mean, it is crazy to me watching this movie how much it influenced movies that came after it. And I'm not just talking about Dark City, which Pro also directed, but you're right about The Matrix and a lot of other movies that came out in the late 90s borrow a lot from The Crow as far as I know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other examples because what we're seeing a lot of in the 90s in terms of like mainstream studio releases and indie releases are are sort of, uh, I, I, I guess, a certain formalism uh, in terms of style, but a radicalism in content. I think of something like Pulp Fiction, which was released the same year as The Crow. Uh, something that, in terms of like style, is 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 not is pretty non-experimental. We get to see the whole scene. We get to see all the characters' faces. It's not as dark and stylized as The Crow, uh, but the structure is all over the place. The content is like really subversive. Whereas The Crow, it's a good guy against bad guy story. It's a very typical uh, American underdog story where he comes back and you know kills the guys that killed his woman you know it's a very classic tale that we can get behind but it's told in this like almost objectionable fashion because of how it depicts the violence um perhaps how it shows i i, I guess maybe his I, I don't even know what i think maybe the only thing to object to is the violence and then going back to sort of the sloppiness of it uh, i think there's probably a way to to sort of attribute that to the fact that they couldn't really do reshoots right right and i think they were working with something uh, uh abominably low in terms of a budget like eight hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars i think uh uh in that in 90s money i don't know how much that is adjusted for inflation but uh it, it's it's pennies you know mm-hmm. and yeah they were working with new technology uh and yeah they couldn't do reshoots at all mm-hmm. it's it's really impressive to see the scenes that they did manage to get with brandon because it, mm-hmm. they got pretty much everything that they needed. If there, if there, if it, if it happened any sooner, uh, you know, who knows if this movie even got finished right, exactly. in another universe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, uh, the one thing that I think is uh, in the film that is verifiably a scene that they shot after his death is is what you guys were, uh, I think, quoting in your uh, in this intro. Uh, it's when Sarah comes to the apartment looking for Eric after she thinks she sees him on the street and uh, she sees him in the apartment but he's either shot from behind or his face is in shadow Mm -hmm. and that's a stand-in actor right and i think it's similar for a lot of like the rooftop guitar shredding scenes oh yeah sure absolutely yeah i wonder i wonder if there was more story to be had with the crow in it you know and then they kind of brought in uh albrecht to fill those spaces Uh, yeah that's a good question I'm, i'm sure I have to think the script was sort of in a certain final stage. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know too much of, of the nitty gritty details. I didn't look up the history before this, but um, yeah, I, I have to wonder too, if once you have that opportunity to reopen the film, you might change something that's been bothering you since the beginning. And then you're like, all right, well, since we're doing this, let's just do this too. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Trevor, you kind of brought it up earlier, um, but I was getting some pretty heavy Joker vibes from Brandon's performance here. It definitely had to be an inspiration. Yeah, um, so a game we play on the show, a recurring segment, is called How Does It Relate to Batman? We don't need to play that segment uh, on this podcast. I feel like the, the poster speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, definitely. I actually tagged Adam in a video that I saw today on Instagram about how similar the scene is when the Joker walks in and meets with all of the quote-unquote thugs from The Dark mm-hmm. Knight, how there's a very similar establishing shot of the crow walking up to the table of all of the cronies, uh, you know, and then this movie, it's very... I was like, whoa, that looks just like Heath Ledger's Joker with the long hair and the makeup mm-hmm. and everything. Um, I can't imagine Nolan sitting around the 90s standing the crow, but, like, it's got... I mean, you never know, man. You never know if Heath Ledger grew up in australia watching the crow you know that might have been the movie that played on cable all the time there so it's just like a really interesting thing yeah it seems certainly possible american films are big export (laughs) um Um, i I had a question actually i wasn't sure if this is actually a topic that you guys have discussed in earlier revenge podcast episodes but 
in in and rewatching this film and also trying to consider my history with revenge films, I, I was sort of having trouble corroborating this this difference between or the criteria that we say qualifies as a revenge film mm-hmm. and what's uh, more traditionally not a pun not a revenge film but just more a punishment thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not and obviously we can talk about the Punisher specifically, but I think there are other films in which. It, the, the violence isn't out of revenge, but the violence is to punish people. And, and I wonder if, if you guys delineate or draw a line between those two things, because they feel different to me. Um, well, it's interesting. You've seen um, You Were Never Really Here. Yes, love that film. I think, I think the first half of it might be more in that category of punishing, where he, he doesn't really have anything to avenge. He has his own trauma, but mm. he is going around and just taking out you know these, um, these sex traffickers. Uh, right and then getting paid yeah yeah exactly. yeah that that is a bit more transactional that would be more punishment than revenge i didn't think of that one that's a good one um but i was thinking like uh uh inglorious bastards which is like revenge and punishment uh tarantino actually has kind of like toes the line between both of those genres i think about another 90s film the boondock saints which is also sort of like uh a cult hit at the time that was probably influenced by the crow um but that's again more like the in the Boondock Saints. It's uh, uh, a quest from God to punish these people, um, not necessarily because they were personally slighted, though. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it's certainly an interesting question. I think you'll see when we get to our um, our categories uh, that I, there are, are some things that I think me and Trevor consider necessary for it to be specifically revenge. Mm. Promising um, young yeah, woman, definitely. Sorry, Promising Young Woman definitely toes the line between uh, punishment and revenge. It kind of mixes those together because she's not, I mean, spoilers for anyone who has not seen Promising Young Woman. It is a new film. Skip ahead 30 seconds here if you have not seen Promising (laughs) Young Woman. I'll give you five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. She's not killing anybody in Promising Young Woman. Uh, She's just exacting revenge through punishment. So that really toes the line between those two things. I think that there's Mm -hmm. like a sick pleasure in watching a punishment revenge movie in that way you know what i mean because it almost feels easy for the crow to roll in and just shoot up the place you know mm-hmm. right like if this was a story about a couple that was killed and then the crow shows up he's not part of the couple that's a different film right uh, uh but the fact that it is him being resurrected to exact the revenge kind of points it with a more uh, intentional uh, slant mm-hmm. than, than, yeah, something like Promising Young Woman, in which she's sort of doing it compulsively. She can't not uh, uh, go uh, out every week and, 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 you know, get these guys, you know, and I'll say that <laughs> about Promising Young Woman. <laughs> Check it out now on VOD. Um, <laughs> yeah, one thing that I want to bring up, get back into the movie, is... Um, I love that the bulk of the personality here is in the villains and the antagonists. Right, because we uh, we've learned about all we can learn about uh, Eric Draven. Right, yeah, and he's uh, he's playing it very straight, you know, which is cool. I mean, that that's the appeal of his character. But uh, I do love uh, Gideon. I love that there's a lot of charm, and he definitely has a certain ideological mindset that he's got going on. Yeah, it's just like he just does drugs in the city, right? <laughs> and then, but also he like has this obsession for like spiritual power. Yeah, and he loves chaos, and also, he but he's also chaos. a jokester. You know, he doesn't take things too seriously until he stabs you through the neck with a sword. Mm-hmm. But he also loves swords and cocaine, right. which is a bad mix. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a great—I mean, that actor. I—I I, I was looking. Oh, at he's the, wonderful! Yeah, yeah, people are acting the shit out of this movie. Yeah, he's got that perfect grovelly voice and the long hair. I was so into it. Mm-hmm. That's Michael. A lot Wynn of good character, by the way. He plays top dollar. I give my top dollar to see him perform some more. <laughs> Lucky for you, he's listed as being in like a hundred movies in IMDb. So have at it. Hey, uh, I'll pass. What do you, Trevor, how are you feeling about performances? Performances? Uh, well, I wanted to talk about the Brandon Lee of it all. We have not really been talking about how the the reason why this movie does or doesn't work is the Brandon Lee performance. I had never seen him. The only other movie I have seen Brandon Lee in is uh, the Dolph Lundgren movie, Showdown in Little Tokyo, in which he's pretty good. He's mostly just playing someone who's good at martial arts, but... He gets a good amount of quips and time to shine here in The Crow as the titular role. 
Um, I thought he was. I, I thought it was really funny how clearly he spoke. By the way, I just like his, his enunciation is so 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 clear in this movie. And he, yeah. But he's he definitely has uh, something. You know what I mean? That makes mm-hmm. um, his premature death, which we've kind of danced around, and we probably will uh, eventually kind of explain here for the listener who doesn't know what happened on the set of the crow but there's something there what did you think of the brandon lee performance well i i it reminded me a lot of his dad who uh was a a very expressive actor if you didn't know bruce lee grew up around opera his his father was an opera star uh in hong kong so i think that bruce lee sort of studied and observed these like large animated acting styles and that transferred over in his films and then subsequently into Brandon Lee and we see that he's a very there's very animated performance even though he's playing a dead guy yeah he has these sort of like big acting moments and he's very talky in Bruce Lee's films he's he's a quiet guy he'll kick your ass but he always likes to talk shit too uh to his opponents and I think Brandon Lee uh in The Crow knowing his character was dead and to a degree invincible uh really stretched that idea of of confidence in his in his role in this character and he just played it very confidently just very like big and out there because he's not really a person uh he's he's a a dead crow (laughs) yeah it seems like it's it's like a weird kind of strange sense of kismet here because um i was reading that uh brandon you know he lost his father pretty early and that he became sort of obsessed with death where he would hang out in graveyards and really like research on death and whatnot. Mm. And then here comes this movie that's about a resurrection. That's all about death, about losing someone that has these dark tones. And this is the movie that he loses his life doing. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's very strange. I mean, he, he, he's obviously immortalized in this role, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, it's one of those strange big you know pairings of coincidences yeah yeah the most the most painful ironies are are usually like the uh the most unexplainable Mm -hmm. is this in your guys's mind the biggest disaster of a production that you can think of because i think of a lot of things like apocalypse now and stuff like that that ended up you know winning the palm dior and you know getting nominated for best picture and all that stuff but they were ended up they ended up you know finishing this film and watching it to the untrained eye or whatever you can't really tell i mean they they did an excellent job but when i think of the biggest train wrecks in terms of production the crow definitely has that uh, notoriety for sure yeah yeah it it does in terms of like absolute failure uh in all areas and all levels of chain of command um uh because it it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong to prevent uh uh or that caused uh you know bruce lee's death on the set um i think in terms of body count this may not be the worst uh production uh i want to say there was a twilight film in which three people uh died during production um during a, a stunt that went wrong um and and i'm not sure the particulars of that but it seems like with the crow uh, Brandon Lee was, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, he, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time during an underfunded, low budget film uh, that couldn't afford safety. And and that, you know, that is certainly makes it one of the worst because it was so preventable. Um, but I, I think, yeah, in terms of body count, there were uh, other productions that had other other deaths. Yeah, you're right. The Twilight Zone movie, John Landis' segment, uh, famously uh, had an absolute disaster on the set that ended up killing at least three people, like you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. The weird thing about that is I was reading in the IMDb section that uh, John Polito, the guy who plays the pawn shop owner, the pedophile pawn shop owner, which is so weird, <laughs> uh, who we love, Adam, in uh, Miller's Crossing. Absolutely. He, um, he's the best. Uh, he said to Brandon Lee when Brandon Lee had did a stunt that was kind of intense, he said, Hey man, you need to chill out. You're going to end up like, this is going to end up like the set of the twilight zone or whatever. And that, that's just reported that he oh, said, wow. he said that, wow. which is so ominous. And just that, this ominous cloud that surrounds this movie. Um, I'm not going to act like it adds to it, but it definitely has this reputation that, um, it's, it's weird, man. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's tragic because this sort of thing comes at a time in which you have uh, uh, the 
the rise of speculation meeting uh, the, the complete uh, decentralization of information. This is still pre-internet. So, so anyone anywhere was free to speculate about what happened on set here. And anyone was free to lie about it and say they knew somebody who knew something and you just had to believe it. And it's only, you know, in the, in the intervening years that what's happened is, is really come to light. And it is just a, a, an unfortunate tragedy that, you know, could have been prevented with more oversight in terms of safety. Um, uh, but for whatever reason, that didn't occur the day of when it was needed. Uh, and this is something I didn't know. It happened in the early, early morning of the day. I figured this some this was something that happened at night or 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 what have you. I didn't expect it. To, it was it was probably like four in the morning when this happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reading that. Uh, what was the name of the actor who who did it? It was uh, or the character was Good Boy. What, fun Boy. Fun, fun Boy. boy. Yeah, yeah, it was Fun Boy. Um, that he like has been or had he passed away in I think twenty sixteen. But he was dealing with oh, that wow. you know for a long time. Like he would wake up in the night, you know, sweating from this experience because he pulled the trigger that you know caused yeah. his death it sucks empire magazine reported that like cocaine was rampant on the set and this it, it just seems like it was kind of out of control and i'm sure we could say that about a million movies made in the 70s through the 90s or even now you know um but when someone gets shot your star and an up and coming star gets shot and killed on the set of course when that gets reported it doesn't look good um, I don't know. I, I don't mean to end our discussion on this movie in a down note, but I feel like that's what this movie kind of... I mean, this movie features a dude in makeup wearing black leather, smashing a guitar on top of a roof, and it feels like that's what we should be talking about. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's not what we talk about when we talk about The Crow. Yeah. I, I, I You know, I, I think if uh, Brandon Lee uh, was still with us, uh, The Crow would have probably still uh, the, a similar cultural reputation because we would still have Brandon Lee who would continue to be a movie star and we everyone would love the crow. So I think whether or not he 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 is with us the the film will survive um because you know of this complete and total uh uh, uh what's the word? I already said intersection, but it's this complete and total coincidence of of talent and time and material uh, source material that like created this movie. Brandon Lee helped usher it in, and and it, we would have remembered it even if he continued to live because the movie is self evident. It's such a good movie, <laughs> and I think it's going to continue to influence people who who do sort of like this genre, not just of revenge films, but of you know transgressive subject matter of of dark. You know, I hate to uh, use the term gritty action thrillers. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, with that, let's remember that uh, it can't rain all the time and let's get to rating this thing. (laughs) Um, So here at Ghost Party Radio, Anthony, we have a very arbitrary and Byzantine system for ranking our movies. These will be that's how I like my systems. (laughs) These will be uh, five categories with a bonus category all out of 10. You you let me know what you're thinking uh, number wise and just let me you can back that up afterwards. Let's start with category one. Uh, my favorite and perhaps what is most necessary at least according to trevor and i for a movie to be considered a revenge film how effed over is the good guy at the beginning of this story i guess the beginning of the story he's at about a 10 (laughs) (laughs) he he walks in on a home invasion uh and of his girlfriend it's pretty bad Yeah, I'm going to back up Anthony here. Uh, I'm going to say this is a 10, man. I mean, like, it's the, the R word, the uh, the death. I mean, he's out of this man is killed at the beginning of this movie. That's a 10. Right. I mean, how can you lose more than that? I'm also going 10. <laughs> Whoa. This is the second category ever that we've had 10s across the board. It is perfect for it, you know. Um, all right. Category two. In his roaring rampage of revenge, Anthony... Are yeah. the stakes justified? How justified are they? Ooh, very good question, right? Because A, he his only after, and he says this in dialogue, he only wants skunk. He only wants the four guys that came in and killed his wife and, and himself. Mm-hmm. So I'd say he, he has values, and he sticks to them pretty pretty well enough until Gideon, like, 
goes all aggro and starts attacking the crow. Mm-hmm. He crosses a line. Mm-hmm. Now, Brandon has to react. Uh, I mean, Eric DeRaven has to react, and uh, he's got to take out Gideon now. Mm-hmm. And they got Sarah, so that's the thing. He was reacting very appropriately, I feel. Give me a number. Oh, 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 shit. Uh, I guess if 10 means he's reacting very appropriately, I'd say a 10. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, uh, I am also giving this a 10, man. This movie is starting out with a perfect score. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it, Anthony. How can you disagree with with those statements? Those (laughs) facts about this movie, I give it a 10 also. Wow. Wow. All right. uh, It's a good start. Good start. Category number three. How good is the conversation before the storm? This is the trope where someone tries to talk the protagonist out of the revenge that they want. Hmm. Is this the scene then where he's in Ernie Hudson's apartment and he's like telling him like what's going on? Yeah, that's that's what I'm feeling, but it doesn't exactly line up as like uh, talking him out of revenge. Right. He's more just like trying to get answers for himself so he knows what to do, like how to how to stall the cops, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd say no one really talks him out of it because everyone like rightfully understands his his quest and what he's got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the only one out of the loop is Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of rating that scene where he gets talked out of it, I don't know. It's like a one. It's so ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't um, once consider, maybe I shouldn't kill them. <laughs> yeah, this this came out, came out the gates uh, very strong with categories one and two, but I'm giving it a three. There's never really a moment where someone tries to talk him out of it. There's a couple of hints towards it, but... I'll be generous and give it a three. Yeah, I think the only ones that do is uh, your homeboy from the pawn shop who's like, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Wait a second, yeah. That, yeah. That's probably the, big, the biggest conversation. Yeah, yeah, that scene. But he, like, shoots him with a shotgun full of engagement rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll give it a two also. I mean, he's a ghost, you know. He's a revenant. He's on a quest. No one's going to stop a ghost. It's not yeah. like he has anything to lose. That's the thing. Certainly not like a living person. Like maybe if like another like if if the raven showed up and someone who called themselves the raven and they wanted to do battle with the crow, mm-hmm. that I could, you know, buy. But <laughs> no one's gonna stop him otherwise. <laughs> um, all right, category four. How strong is the closure at the end of the story? This one's tough. Uh, I I'd say for for the character of Eric Draven. He, uh, I, I'll give it a nine, just for the safe, mm-hmm. just to be on the safe side. The movie as a whole, I'll give a a, a seven, and let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. It's a seven because we don't really see Sarah back with her mom at the end, and I would have, for all the time they spend with that Sarah character, I would have liked to have seen her and her mom live happily goddamn after. I know there's the scene where she makes her eggs or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. She needs, like, I want to see the mom get a job or something. <laughs> like, there's no, I don't trust that she's not going to relapse. <laughs> right. And, and Albrecht has to get back together or get together with that one other cop. With that one other cop. Yeah. yeah I was thinking that. I'm like, damn, does she come back in the movie? She's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, seven and then a uh, nine. Trevor, what, what do you want to be the, the qualifications for this one? Because I think Anthony asks a good question here. I, I think it's the movie overall, so I wrote down seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and for myself personally, uh, I think it's a it's a five for me. It's 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 right down the middle. I mean, his revenge the whole time just kind of seems inevitable, and he doesn't get that much pushback. So the closure at the end of the story is not really all that satisfying. And for all the points that Anthony said, I think it's just kind of right down the middle. It's a good closure, but I think it could have been much better. And you never know. That could have been because of production stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. No, I, and, I, and I understand uh, what you're saying there it, in terms of, like, the space between the uh, the, the scenes. Like, it, it just doesn't feel as, uh, uh, like, there's, like, a lot going on in terms of, like, uh, a plot. Like, he's, he's just going to kill them, and then he does, and then it's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, we don't ever really get deviated into any other territory besides that. But wouldn't wouldn't you make the argument that that's perfect closure? 
I, I would. I, I would say that he he. I would say that Eric Draven got closure and catharsis. Mm-hmm. I would say the audience maybe didn't get the same catharsis because you know we obviously are not Eric Draven mm-hmm. and we're seeing a different picture than he is. But yeah, I, I think the mo- the movie definitely like succeeds on its ambitions that it sets up. Mm-hmm. It definitely you, you get your money's worth. You get what you paid for. Trevor, what's your number? Mine's a five. I wrote down five. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go seven with Anthony. Uh, I think I agree with him there. I think we have one solid set of closure, and then we kind of get hints at others, even though we don't see it. So, Right. See, what uh, just happened here, Anthony, is that uh, Adam gave a higher score than me, which is not likely for this show often, because he is oh. known as the person who is harder on films than I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! am I witnessing uh, revenge podcast history? You're breaking us up, Anthony. <laughs> hey, 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 boys, there's enough of me to go around. Um, category five. How cool slash clever are the weapons? Oh, I, I have something for this. Right. Gideon's bodyguard has the most 90s looking gun I think I have ever seen in any 90s movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like got a stock that's like always folded and like a scope in it. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like. But it's uh, like a machine gun. It's like a shotgun, machine gun. I don't know what it is. I think Nirvana wrote a song about that gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, uh, I, I would say the guns. Maybe there's lots of firepower. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll give it. I'll give it an eight for the the '90s gun and the scene where he like fills his shotgun full of engagement rings and causes an explosion larger than Hiroshima. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is that is sweet. Wait, before you you lock it down, Anthony, I want to add. Um, there are the swords, the cool swords. The swords, yes, can't forget about the swords. And and uh, when in the final fight, when he goes toe to toe, it's sword versus like what? What do you call that on the top of the church? Oh, uh, like the yeah, steeple thing. Called? Yeah, it's steeple. steeple. Yeah, yeah, he that's his weapon. Is a, a freaking <laughs> steeple. Uh, I'm gonna church weather vane that he stabs him with. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna spoil it. I'm gonna give it a nine. Oh, okay. That's good. One. Well, That's you've good done score. it again, Adam. You you've gone a little higher than me. I'm giving it an eight um, for all the reasons y'all uh, said, but also he uses a raven to see people. I think that's pretty cool. That's true. <laughs> Is that a weapon? Oh, wait, wait. Time out. Does he? Le- sorry. Does he use a? Wait. Does he use a crow? <laughs> no, I think I read actually. I read that like crows sleep at night, so the, during the night shoots they would have literal ravens in place of crows. Because the crows would be like sleepy and agitated. Yeah, there, there's no like uh, strict crow or raven in this whole movie. The movie's called the crow. He's called Draven. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a little all over the place. Give that a three. <laughs> three for the crow. Uh, all right, now here's the final category or bonus round. Um, how cool is the final showdown location? The, the the rooftop of the church where he's buried ooh it's it's layered in, in symbolism I'll tell you that <laughs> I would yeah. say it's pretty good it's very satisfying like what you alluded to Trevor it's a it's a nice shootout at the start and then a good like storming of the bell tower where they got to go up the stairs and there's a shootout on a wooden staircase it's great it hits all those beats so uh, I I'd say in terms of location it uses its location pretty well. And they throw him off the rooftop to, to, to finish it off. I don't know. It's 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 beat for beat, like so perfect. Um, I'll give it an, uh, a nine and a half. A nine and a half. Okay. Uh, I do like the final showdown location of this. I do. I will say that our uh, bonus category is a little too weighted for my for, for my liking. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven and a half. I think it's poetic. I like it. Seven and a half is very strong to add on to a final score. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it a little bit higher also i'll give it an eight uh, wow. it's just it's cool it's a, what, what do you want more from a big blowout scene ending than a church that's being rained on yeah and then his like uh the the, the ghost of his girlfriend shows up wearing a white dress and mm-hmm. they embrace what a, like come on what how can you like be offended by that yeah come on trevor <laughs> yeah come on get with the program trevor i like it i liked this movie and i'm gonna go over the final scores right now Anthony, you gave this movie uh, out of a possible 50, but it's actually 60 with 10 bonus points, but we called it out of 50. You gave it a 45 and a half. 
Hey, I like that. I'll, I'll, I would defend that. And I gave the film a 43 and a half, which means I liked it quite well. It's very nice that, I mean, a 10 and a 10 to start off these ratings is very, very strong stuff. Mm. And Adam, you gave the film a 46. Hmm. Wait, what? Is that right? Sorry, let me do this math again. 10 uh, plus 10 is 20, plus 2 is 22, plus 7 is 29, plus 9 is 38, plus 8 is 46. Adam, you gave this film a 46. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's so more adding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so adding. Yeah, Anthony, tell yeah, your you family gave, you I'm gave coming the, over to watch it soon. I guess so. Yeah, Adam, you want to come over to the <laughs> Thanksgiving? <laughs> we'll watch Crow. <laughs> so that gives this movie. Yeah, I just double checked the math. So that gives this movie a 45 and a half plus 43 and a half plus 46 is a 135. Oh. Which I cannot give you any context for, but 135 out of 150 is extremely, extremely strong compared to the other movies in this revenge category. So congratulations, Anthony! Is that the highest Great one movie so far. Uh, I cannot say if it's the highest one. I can't say any context because we don't know what order these episodes are going to be coming out. So you'll have to just tune into our outro episode when we give away our award. And speaking of awards, Adam, do you have any questions you want to ask Anthony? Yeah, Anthony, what is uh, what is the award you would like to have us present one of these revenge movies? The Anthony McElroy Award for... Um... Give me the Anthony McRoy Award for um, cutest uh, uh, female police officer who only has like one scene. Because <laughs> I, I want to, for the crow, I'm going to give it to the woman who talks to Ernie Hudson. Yeah, I would absolutely give it to her also. Yeah, she was great. So cutest okay, police I'm, officer I, in one scene. <laughs> I I have the Anthony McElroy Award for cutest police officer who only has one scene. Perfect. <laughs> All right. I like it. I think uh, that about brings us to the end of the show. Anthony, uh, I know we kind of talked up top, but do you have anything else to plug? Um. Yeah, going to be uh, continuing to write for the Frida in these coming months. Going to be putting out some reviews for uh, Minari. Going to be putting out some reviews for Nomadland. A uh, bunch of new releases. Uh, and then uh, in addition to more scene selections. Uh, we're going to try and do those every, I don't know, two weeks. So we just published the first David Lynch one. A couple weeks we'll probably get that M. Night Shyamalan one up. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow my Letterboxd, uh, it's uh, at... A-G, and then my last name, McElroy, M-C-K-E-L-R-O-Y. Yeah, I, I also have a Lebertox. It's at Captain Dills. You can uh, find the Ghost Party Radio list under my name, where I will eventually rank all of the films based on how they scored on our scale. You can follow me personally at Trevor Dills on Instagram and Twitter, and always follow us at Ghost Party Picks on whatever social media you can. Adam, give them them plugs. Yeah, and uh, follow me at Projector Fuel on Instagram to see the movies I'm watching. And uh, please write in as we get into season two here uh, to ghostpartypicks at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts on the next category coming up. We want to hear your thoughts on these movies, on the next movies that we pick, and our arbitrary category system. So let us hear from you. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, and likely Google Podcasts. Well, I think that just about does it then. Anthony McElroy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We'd love to have a Crow fan. It was a joy talking with you about this movie. Oh, I appreciate being on. Any chance to talk about the Crow, God. We'll bring you on when we do our Crow saga next time. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks again. And uh, thank you for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Trevor, we have officially... Uh, Crow... The... 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 Bye. Bye. Mm, that's a 10. <laughs>